Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. I always laugh when I hear that intro. We've been using it for almost seven years, and I feel like I'm very 70s, <laughs> very 70s radio. On that note, join me in introducing the world to Dennis Gable, CEO of Brand Producer. Welcome, friend. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you here. We have Jordan to thank for this introduction. We do. Uh, we're thinking she might be listening right now. Maybe. We just got a text from her after we <laughs> sent a photo, and we're always appreciative of great introductions, and we became fast-connected minds and souls as we had our first conversation. I'm so grateful that you were willing to come on and share your success story and let our listeners know a little bit about what you do professionally. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thrilled to have you. So tell us about yourself as a brand producer mm-hmm. and the company. How'd you land here? That's a great question. Lots of pitfalls, lots of failures, <laughs> lots of uh, lots of attempts. And, you know, I've always been a fan of music and love. I was in a band when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And, you know, just being a fan of hip hop music specifically, I've gotten to see what good production can do to mediocre music. Mm-hmm. and or taking artists that had the capacity and and it was a, a good producer, a uh, Rick Rubin or a Timbaland or, you know, somebody that could really speak into here's the magic that you haven't yet unfolded. And I wanted to push that into branding. I have been a crazy brained entrepreneur for most of my life. It feels like always moving and jumping and, and trying and failing and and wanting to see things come to life. And when I was transitioning myself out of a creative director role into this, it was very easy for me to, for me to see myself as a true producer of brand and business. And what that means to me is I don't have to be the artist. I don't need to be the creator. I don't need to be the entrepreneur. I don't have to be, I don't have to replace you in your own seat. I just want to add to or take away from the things that I think could make it really, really magical. And so that's kind of the creative, beautiful, metaphoric story of, of how I got to the name and the brand. And, and since launching, I've been able to help dozens of business owners uh, scale very quickly. One of my, my favorite clients, we, were, we worked together for years. Our first year working together, they saw an 83% increase year over year in revenue. And so it's really fascinating what just a little bit of, you call it magic, but it's it's intuition and it's wisdom and it's experience and it's all those things. But when you can bring that sort of magic to a business where people are typically slightly different brained than me, they're more data or they're more insight. And, and I'm here 30,000 feet in the clouds. I'm in a, you know, I'm in a Southwest jet flying over looking going, oh, I see something down there. And then being able to add some of that to it. Yeah. Helping us be able to articulate our vision and purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we need people like you. <laughs> I know that I've got it all running on up here. And if I didn't have the team that I have, I couldn't articulate it as well. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I hear you saying. Like you hear and it resonates with you. And mm-hmm. then you can say, what if you did this? What if you did this? And what if you eliminated that? <laughs> I hear it's both. Yep. And it's from it's from the execution of the brand, right? So the logo, the color, the voice, the brand voice, 
how the copy is written, who the copy is written for, Mm -hmm. I think is one of the biggest shifts that I help companies really make is going from internal to external, going from focused on how good we are at what we do and then being and changing that to focused on empathetically how we actually help you with our service product, et cetera. Those are some of the biggest elements and really they're small tweaks. But as you know, being an entrepreneur, when it's all stuck in your head, even myself, I have to call on friends that are better than me, more talented than me, have insight that that they have to get me out of my own head in order for me to execute certain things as well. So even I need my own my own help and my own service when I can't when I can't quite get there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So as I was reading your bio earlier, I and you had just mentioned it, you had been in a band and you have a love, great love for music all mm-hmm. your life. I didn't know that part <laughs> as we got to know each other, but I did know that you spent some time as a pastor. I did, and didn't know that you were also a bartender. That's quite a bio, my friend. Lead singer, pastor, bartender, and brand producer. Yeah, uniquely you. And the funny thing is they're all almost the same. I think some of us would challenge you on that. How is that? Yeah. I mean, uh, lead singer and brand producer we'll put on the fringe for that conversation. Okay. Those two might be more similar for sure. But being a pastor and being a bartender are super similar. You find people where they're at in the trenches of where they are. Yeah. And you just hope to allow them to have the space to be whatever they're choosing to be. My work as a pastor was fascinating because I I was always open to the person on the fringe. And I think in many ways that's because I, it's how I saw myself. It's how I am who I wanted to find and, and help and to be present for. And it wasn't always as accepted in the, some of the roles that I had. But, you know, being a bartender, you get to listen to people. You get to serve them. You get to have an opportunity to make something that they're going through a little bit better. And whether that's through worship and scriptures or whether it's through vodka tonic and or a shot of Jameson or something, mm-hmm. like we get the opportunity to usher people into the space that they want to be in. And mm-hmm. so I always make the joke that I'd serve people at night and then serve them again in the morning uh, at the bar and then at church, which I don't know that I ever really had that experience of seeing people in We can all ex- understand that, though. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 We might be sitting at the bar lamenting or having struggles and trying to work our way through it with that drink in front of us or a friend or lack of whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that next day, waking up, fresh day, maybe still some heartache and some pain on our mind and, and looking for a connection again. Just in a very different way. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. I think they're very similar. And and, uh, I think most of my experiences just show my desire to connect to people. Mm. And, And that's one of the beautiful things about what Brand Producer became is it became less about the logo and the color and the thing. And it became more about who are you in your business? And are you being true to yourself? Are you being true to your customer? Do you have a certain sense of integrity behind what you're selling and what you're offering? Or are you just selling things? Are you just pushing products? Are you just, you know, trying to hustle a service? And and so that that became the bulk of what I ended up doing, I think, in Brand Producer is for a lot of my clients it is, yeah, it was about the brand and it was about the execution, but we did so much internal work that they didn't even know they were signing up for. It's, it's kind of like being a pastor who bartends, you know, it, very similar. People come to the bar and they don't know that they're going to be served by somebody who's also going to be preaching in the morning. And that has been a really fascinating part of the journey. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. The more 
interviews that we've had over the last six years that we've had the studio open, we have talked to people like you, whether they're on the marketing side, the digital agency side, the creative side, or the branding side. We're having more and more of those conversations mm-hmm. that we're, we're, I think, at a place in business where people want to be in alignment with themselves and the product and services that they offer. And we don't always know how to do that. And so that's it's great to hear you say that that is that's what you stand on that is that's your gift that's your your skill set. It is. And and it's hard to put into words because intuition is not a hard skill. Intuition is what For you. Well no, I'm I'm saying it's not a skill you write down on paper. Oh, like oh, oh, a tangible one. Right. You, Got it. You don't go to college to learn how to be intuitive. You just either have it or you don't. And that's one of the Maybe the most powerful things that I bring to the table is my ability to sit in a room with one person, 10 people, 500 people. And even now when I get the opportunity to speak publicly, I don't even outline. I know what I'm going to talk about, but I let the energy of the room guide which pieces I think they're feeling or what they believe is most important to them. And and that intuition is a really powerful gift that's hard to put onto paper. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let's go back to the art of branding, the logo, yeah. maybe even the the text or the font or whatever. Yeah. How important is that, especially in today's business world? Is it important? It's such a beautiful question. And the way that you asked it is really beautiful. Because uh, the way that you asked it was, is it even yeah. important? I think the general masses who uh, we can split people into categories, you know, is like the general person isn't looking at something like kerning, which is the space between letters. Kerning. Kerning. That's Uh, a word. It is. And it's one of my favorite parts about how to create logos and typefaces and bring it all together is that there's enough space between the letters that it's legible, whether it's large or small. Or So the average person, A, doesn't know that that's a thing, and B, they're not looking for it. And so with, with products like Canva, um, even the accessibility to Photoshop or Illustrator or things like that or apps on our phone that we can, quote, make logos very quickly. Are most of them okay? Sure. I, I think that there's some, there's some relative relativity to what a logo means per business, per product, per industry, mm-hmm. right? But I, I do think that at a certain scale, you have to invest in making sure that it is heads and shoulders above the other 10 people below you in your category, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big investment typically. I mean, branding is anywhere from 10 grand to 150 grand to uh, it, it just is astronomical in, in some spaces. And so I do believe that it's important because it's a part of our identity. It's almost like asking how important is it to brush our teeth and comb our hair and, yeah. you know, put on clothes that match. And colors and shapes and fonts are that way. If you have two fonts that don't match, is anybody going to make fun of you for it? Probably not. Would but, they even notice it thoughtfully? Probably not. But but they will mm-hmm. and not even know why it doesn't resonate with them. Yeah. If you wore pants and a shirt that went together but didn't match, mm-hmm. people are going to notice. Mm-hmm. They, they're not going to waste time on it. They're not going to spend time on it. But uh, I think that those things, those are the intangible parts of branding that big brands like Coke, Pepsi, McDonald's, et cetera, that the reason they spend 
millions of dollars on brand identity and making sure that those pieces line up is because when you have that sort of focus, and I think we see this in in our society too, people with the most eyeballs, they pay attention to how they're dressed. Mm -hmm. People with less eyeballs pay less attention to how they may present themselves. And it's just about presentation and identity at the Mm -hmm. end of the day. And so if you're going to invest in your identity, you should probably do that. Right. Uh, and but I, I do think that there are some things not to make it too like esoteric and deep, but do colors matter? Color theory is a real thing. Yeah. But I do believe that we're inundated now with so much color all of the time that it's less effective as it was 20 years ago when color theory was really, really, really important in terms of green versus red versus blue. I think it's less important yeah. So at the end of the day, pick your two favorite colors and let's move on. You know what I mean? Um, but the story that they tell together mm-hmm. and the way in which they tell that story in one look, <laughs> that matters. A hundred percent it matters. Yeah. And that's where I think the starting off place is, you know, Canva's a great tool. Yeah. Uh, I hated it for a long time because I was like, I went to school for graphic <laughs> design. You can't replace me. And I've been replaced very quickly. <laughs> and so Canva's a really great tool, but it's not built to create brands for established companies that are doing millions of dollars a year in revenue. Mm-hmm. It's made for smaller mom and pop, maybe one off, you know, like I've launched a couple products and things over the years that I, I shortcutted the process a little bit because I didn't know what it was going to become. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think there's a variable there of, yeah. of vision versus intentionality versus purpose versus bringing it all together. Yeah. I'm going to take us back to kerning. Yeah. And I I know that I'm going to do this, but it, I'm going to get esoteric on you. Only <laughs> yes. because I know, right? I know you and I can do that very quickly. The reason why I got so excited and got chills up my back when you used that word to describe the space between the letters, if that's kind of blended down. In my life as a coach and in my life just um, as a journer and an outlier, I often, like there's this palm tree out here right now. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the trees over there. When I'm stressed... I will tend to look at the space in between the leaves Mm -hmm. and the branches because there's expansion in there for me. Mm. And so I never even knew there was a word. I mean, I I know that when you do a logo, you have to um, have it framed or whatever. That's the white space. Mm -hmm. I I know some of the very, very basics. I've never heard it explained like that. And so for me, I went, oh, my gosh. I tell people when you're stressed, I work with my clients, when you're stressed and you're feeling like everything is you're just pressed right up against it, go out into nature, look as far as you can through things and find that white space. And then uh, Wayne Dyer has mm-hmm. this beautiful um, meditation using the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And he has you, um, it's called getting into the gap. And he has you focus between the letters of each of the words. Mm-hmm. And then he has you go into the, the space and the gap in between those letters and words. So anyway, nothing about branding, but I knew no. that Dennis would love that. Yeah. Or maybe it has everything to do with branding. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it has everything to do with branding. You know, when things are smushed together, you you don't really have vision of it. It all becomes the same color. It all becomes the same shape when it's all smushed together. And when you allow things to breathe, you allow it to have its own identity. You allow it to have its own space. You allow it to have its own flowing organism experience in the world. And I think the same is true. And and kerning is legitimately my favorite part of branding. And it's the thing that I will nitpick the absolute crap out of if I have an opportunity is because there's in the space between the letters and if a letter has a like an s as an example 
it wouldn't be necessarily the same distance apart as an M and an N because that right, curve right. visually, if you put them literally the same space apart, the S will look too far away because the way that that curve is. And so you have to bump it in just a little bit. And mm-hmm. so there's so much beauty in the detail mm-hmm. of what that does to typefaces being legible. And one of the variations of the brand producer logo is just the letters, but they're all spaced very far apart, it seems, Mm -hmm. just on first glance. But it's very intentional. It's so that nobody misses a letter because I'm already missing the vowels. Right. Yeah. It, for our viewers and listeners who haven't seen the logo, shoot, I already already uh, stuck it in my backpack. Uh, brand producer is the name of your company, mm-hmm. but it's all the vowels are missing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And most of that is because it's easy to buy a website, a domain name, if there's no vowels. <laughs> Good. And so no one else is asking fifty thousand dollars for it. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not on, on that one. Um, and so some of it was ease, and some of it was uniqueness. Mm-hmm. You know, and and a lot of it is the story. People go, "What does that say?" And uh, a few years ago, I did a reel on Instagram because people would just say "burn producer," <laughs> and they'd smush the letters together anyway. I love it. And uh, so I did a reel just trying to make fun of that. But yeah. you mentioned something that that's really beautiful, and that's just being willing to see the space. Yeah. And as you know, being a coach, humans in general, but uh, entrepreneurs in this particular s- space or high level business leaders. If we don't have kerning in what we're doing, we don't have that space, we don't have the ability for it to breathe, we're literally just looking at a mush of things in front of us and going, mm-hmm. what do I do? And that is so overwhelming. And so I think your ability to see and coach people through that space is really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. It, We were talking about tattoos, obviously. We were talking about tattoos earlier. I don't even have any. (laughs) I think that might be my next tattoo. I draw them on. (laughs) (laughs) Can you do the artwork for me? (laughs) Sure. It'll be be perfectly spaced, I I promise. I I, I count on that. I expect that. I love it. What would you say is really like the most common hurdle that clients have to get over when it comes to branding? And then part of that comes to when they're working on branding, but also working on it with a consultant like yourself. Mm. The biggest hurdle is thinking that they're invisible 100% of the time in my, in my experience. What, is, is, what do you mean? I've worked in, in a lot of different industries, been super grateful to be versatile in that way. But most entrepreneurs, let's say 20 employees or less, or you know, the leadership team is just a couple, there's always this fear that people aren't going to know what I do. They're not going to know what I stand for. They're not going to know what service we offer. And so in the branding process, they want to put – a, if they're a tree trimmer, they want to put a chainsaw in the logo or, you know, a a tree specifically, or if Mm -hmm. they're a real estate broker, they want a house to be in the logo. They want it to be so obvious and fear that they're not going to be seen. Mm. And what I've had to try to help people understand, and sometimes I fail at, fail at helping people understand that their uniqueness and their value, if they'll stand on those two things, will speak so much louder than the super obvious icon we have associated to your name. Mm-hmm. And and so invisibility when I say that is I, I believe people are afraid of being uh, they're afraid of being invisible in a world where there's so much media and so much noise and so many competitors in quotes and that we just want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And the personal human loving side of that always went back to you're worthy of being seen whether as an entrepreneur, but also as a business, but also as, but also as, as that kind of builds out. 
and then forcing that into how we execute the brand. And I've had clients overrule me and say, Give us the chainsaw. <laughs> yep. We, <laughs> yeah. we want the most obvious thing in here. Yeah. And sometimes it works and sometimes I think it's a huge miss. But but I think that's the biggest hurdle is the fear of being unseen mm-hmm. um, and being able to work with so many different types of businesses. So much of that beauty is when we go the route that I'm advising and then the business grows. And then the business card comes out looking amazing. And then the execution of their website is lovely. And then they're standing on all of these other pillars outside of just the most obvious thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. It's a weird journey. Yeah. And, and I look at it from such a unique angle. I, there's a lot of brilliant branders in the world and, and people that do work similar to me. And uh, I, one of my very best friends, his name is Nick. He lives in Atlanta. He's easily a hundred times more creative and more talented than me just in general. And we have these conversations all the time of, mm-hmm. of the struggle of, of trying to get people to see layer three, not just layer one. Mm-hmm. Layer one is often execution, sales, rinse and repeat. Layer three is longevity of clientele. It's nurturing relationships. It's building trust. It's allowing people an opportunity to really sit in your space as a company. Mm -hmm. And that is equally maybe as challenging to get entrepreneurs to believe that they have an identity that's worthy, that they can stand on, and that identity can be wrapped in their own integrity, in their own authenticity, in their own value, and also that they're worthy of and valuable to nurture people into uh, an atmosphere that they're creating. That And, and be paid for it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You remind me a lot of a former business partner of mine, Tara Voss. Brilliant when it comes to branding and, and seeing things visually and uh, we owned $99 Social together with a couple other partners and sold it, which was what gave me the leverage to open Phoenix Business Radio X and an automotive shot, actually. I didn't know that you owned $99 Social. Did you Did you not know that? You're I familiar didn't. with them. I am, yeah. Yeah, that's been eight years. Eight years ago, we sold it. There were five of us. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I was chief operations officer. I had I had the whole writing team, content writing team. We went from nine uh, up an anthem that actually physically came to our location and wrote on behalf of our customers. And then we expanded in the year and a half that I was brought on board to prepare to sell it, build it to sell it, right? Yeah. Uh, we went to, I think we had 140 content writers all over the country by the time I left. And that was, so I was responsible for that team and managed that. That's funny. We, yeah. yeah. I, it's not something I, in fact, I don't think I've ever mentioned it on air. Uh, <laughs> maybe the first couple of years that I was running the studio, but yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah. And, um, and that's such a different animal when it comes to social media. I haven't even looked to see what they're doing these days, but I do know that they're still around. But Tara and her then ex-husband, great guy, they were the brains behind the whole idea and the whole concept. It was mm. just a little bit of a, at least when we had it, a little bit of a cookie cutter, like, oh, you're a landscaper? Here's great social media content that can be slightly customized, but this is the kind of thing you want to do back when social media was just starting to to kick off. And mm-hmm. it worked. It made a lot of sense. And I know that they're still doing variations of that today. And all of us have stepped away successfully. So, so yeah, That's how cool so is cool. that? Yeah, very fun. Well, thank you. I haven't thought of that in a long time. However, the reason I mention it is because Tara just blew my mind when it came to these conversations around how important is the word aesthetics. Can I use that word? Yeah. How important that is 
because when we see something, we have a reaction, response, and emotion to it. Mm. And it's so much more than just seeing it, right? We want to be able to sense what it would be like to taste it, touch it, feel it, mm-hmm. have a relationship with it. What does it represent and all that stuff? And so, yeah, at some point, I'd love to introduce the two of you. Cool. Yeah, very that'd be, cool. That'd be awesome. And I, I don't want to take away from my your, notes. Yeah. <laughs> They're but, your notes. <laughs> uh, the, the aesthetic that you mentioned is so interesting because we see it ebb and flow. When, when you were doing the work with 99Social, social media is relatively new in terms of a, an advertising outlet. Mm-hmm. And then aesthetic went to heavy production. And now it's drifted back to very low level production. And I think we're seeing another dip. So like the aesthetic of high quality photography or high quality videography, it, it, it just ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. And, and the aesthetic of that is just really fascinating for me to watch mm-hmm. because it's like fashion. Like post-COVID, I really question myself if wearing a T-shirt would be okay. Here today? Yeah. Because d- typically I would, I would wear a polo and, you know, <laughs> right. do the dance and do the thing. But this is really how I feel the most comfortable. Good. And post-COVID, I think that there's a lot of freedom for people to wear what they want to wear and and their aesthetic gets to be a little more flexible. Mm-hmm. And we see that same thing in media and branding and, and all of that stuff as well. So yeah. I didn't I didn't want to take you off of your no, notes about no, no. me, but that that <laughs> that came into my brain. I love it and I appreciate it. Uh we've talked a lot around really who you are, right, as a brand producer and as an individual and a professional. I'm sensing that you've done some inner work, having been a, a, a pastor as well. Maybe there's an assumption there. And you kind of alluded to you like to do this work because you like to help people be seen mm-hmm. at, for who they are and help bring that out in them. Mm-hmm. How did Dennis land there? Like, are there life experiences that you'd be willing to share? Sure. And I ask that because for me, like with Phoenix Business Radio X, I've done a lot of things. I was a third grade teacher. I was an assistant principal. I was a Mary Kay director driving a red Grand Am on my way to the pink Cadillac. I, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff. And this studio is the culmination of everything. Mm-hmm. And it it just kind of fell out. It's like, well, I think this is what I need to do next. And wow, everything lands here. In addition to the coaching piece to have these deeper conversations mm. with executive leaders and business owners that we normally wouldn't be having. So that's my very quick story. You don't have to be that quick. How does this all come together or does it all come together for you here? It's a really great question. And before I answer, when we first met, I was driving to California and we just had a quick talk. That's right. And it was really beautiful to connect with you because we both said, we feel like we're cut from the same cloth. Very much so. And, uh, and you and I had a conversation a handful of weeks ago that I approached you and just said, you, have, you are where I hope to be. And I say I'm only 41 because I try to believe that I'm still young. I'm only 41 and, and there's so much life left to live. And so I just want to say before I jump into my story how encouraging and beneficial oh. your story is is to me and has been to me and the amount of things that I know people learn from from being able to to have experience with you whether it be on the oh, podcast you. or coaching or etc. So I sure appreciate that. Uh, yeah, you're you're very welcome and I very much appreciate the space that you've created for me and the opportunity to be here to do this is is really lovely and to answer your question I'll spare so many details just because of time but uh uh, I I didn't learn how to be a good human as a child. And then I learned that I was a very charismatic 
attention-seeking, attention-grabbing human. And so... Gosh, that is why we get along so well. (laughs) (laughs) I, I learned that very young, that, like, people wanted to be around me. And... I was funny and I was this and I was that. And so I, I had people always wanting to be around me. And then when I was in the band, that was another expression of like, God, people just want to be around me. And funny you mentioned that me being a pastor may have led to some of this work. And the truth is that early into my – I didn't become a Christian until I was in my late teens. Started to execute that as a young life leader and and some other things. And I found a practice of journaling that really was helpful. It was often centered around studying the Bible as well. And so it was like half me, half Bible studying, et cetera. But I carried that for a very long time. And then I fell in love with the concept of vulnerability. I had somebody tell me a handful of years ago that I was Brene Brown to them before Brene Brown was Brene Brown to mm-hmm. people. And and what I've learned now is that I didn't know anything about being vulnerable. What I knew then is the power of it that when you're willing to be first, when you're willing to really allow yourself to be wounded, which is what the word means, it allows people the space to exist. But I still had my arm out. I was just telling facts. I wasn't particularly being vulnerable. I just was telling more truths than other people were willing to tell. Mm-hmm. And then I got married. The The hard part of my story that I'll share without, you know, uh, while also protecting my ex-wife is... Of I made a decision to be unfaithful to my ex-wife, and that essentially was the end of our marriage. And on the heels of that, I had so much shame, and I'd never really experienced shame in that way. I had experienced church guilt, and church guilt— from shame. Church guilt is like, oh, you slept with somebody you shouldn't have, or you got drunk when you shouldn't have, or you, you know, bad boy, you shouldn't do that. Uh, Shame is an entirely different beast. When I was going through— when I was going through that and and actively acting out on that, I was like vomiting every morning, like not to be too much on it, but the shame was like physically affecting me. And so after we decided to part ways and and really do that, she was very honorable and still allowing me space with my kids. And and I took that space and I had to live. My friend Nick that I mentioned earlier, we actually lived with him and his his, uh, ex-partner and they allowed us the space to like be our own little family amidst their family. And and shortly after that, I started to go to therapy and I went, uh, I sought out a type of therapy called EMDR mm-hmm. and it chain, it was so helpful for me because I specifically focused on my relationship with my dad and childhood things that, that just wouldn't go away. And then I became sort of obsessed. I, I started a podcast in 2018 called Self to Society that I still do yes. uh, five years later. And yep. the evolution of that story, like if people were to listen to episode one to episode 118 or whatever it is, like whew, those are almost two different men, I think. And I really started to dive into what it meant to heal. And, you know, there's there's all these terms of toxic and non-toxic and healthy and unhealthy and all of these things. And I think generally my level of presence in the world my desire to be charismatic, my desire to show up, I often overrun people unintentionally. And so I started to to learn how to say things to myself like, Dennis Allen Gable Jr., I love you. You are more than enough. You are not too much. And I, it, I bawled my eyes out the first time I ever said those words. I was sitting in my shower in the bathtub, like with the shower water running and just sobbing 
trying to say those words. And then I've built on those practices and, and I've had to create my own. There aren't very many men guiding men into what it means to be a balanced and balanced is a relative term and to live into their masculinity in a way that doesn't hurt themselves or other people. And holds their uniqueness. And holds their uniqueness. I am unequivocally confident in what I am. And that has taken a long time. And concentrated focus. Intentional focus. Very much. Yes. Some of my friends think I'm a lunatic and that I'm too hard on myself and that I'm, you know, I don't give myself enough grace and all that. But what, what they often don't see is that uh, it's like going to the gym. Every time that you absolutely destroy your body in the gym, it has the the ability to rebuild itself and be stronger. Mm -hmm. And so with my own mental health, my own experience, my own practical application to to living in a world where I feel like I actually, for the first time in my life, have integrity, mm -hmm. which is fascinating, I have destroyed my brain and my heart to let it be rebuilt and to, to allow it to get stronger, right? I get it. Uh, and and it's, it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. It's but, the hardest work you'll ever do. The work uh, is never done. It's the matrix. I it say is, that all the time. It is the matrix. Uh, it's interesting that you say that, um, and I, I'm thinking maybe it's because you're a male and not because of the set of friends that you have, but people used to tell me that I was super hard on myself. We are very similar. And I share myself very vulnerably and do so on social media as well. And I have more people tell me that I am the most self-reflective person that they know. And, and I wonder if that's because I'm female. <laughs> like hmm. someone might call it self-reflective for me, but they might say that you're hard on yourself for you. Hmm. Uh, when most of the time when we're looking at, you know, the difference between men and women professionally or how we share ourselves, uh, you know, you're so strong and, you know, you're, you're, you're too much or whatever, you know. But uh, anyway. I think that was important and a little bit of a bird walk for us as it relates to brand producer. Mm -hmm. However, there's this deeper side of you clearly that's expressed in even just your appearance, right, and the way you show up. And I think that's important for our listeners and viewers to to hear that, the, the work that you're doing and the mm -hmm. work that you've done, because that's the insight that you've been able to provide when it comes to working with them on their brand, in addition to that younger kid <laughs> who knew he was a magnet, mm -hmm. maybe didn't understand why, had some things happen in life, as we all do, that mm -hmm. helped shape us. And sometimes we're like, gee, if I could just have not have had all those things happen to me, I could be X, Y, Z, and so much better, so much more. And you and I have come to a place to know that in reality, those things that have happened to us, those life experiences, um, are exactly why we show up like we do today. And 100%. we can heal, we can heal the parts of us that say, you know, I'm not worthy, mm. and I didn't deserve this, or whatever that stuff is. And yet we're still who we are mm -hmm. because of those experiences, even after we've healed ourselves through them. Yeah. And, and it's taken a lot of practical application, personality typing systems, tests, different types of therapy, different methodologies. Dr. Richard Schwartz has uh, internal family systems. That was super helpful for me to look at the defense mechanisms and be able to, to speak to these things. And, you know, like the thing that I'm most grateful for is not even my life and how I'll work it out. Mm -hmm. The thing I'm most grateful for is that I have a 10-year-old son. I have a 16-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son my 10-year-old son gets to understand what it feels like to be accepted as whatever sort of man he is in our home. And that's the opposite of what I experienced. If I didn't live by certain rules and codes and do the thing or not do the thing, then there was all sorts of words associated to me and my identity. And 
my son gets an opportunity to be who I wish I could have been. Mm. And that's the, I mean, having him has been the wildest mirror of all time. Oh, they will do that to us, won't they? (laughs) That boy has helped me heal so much of myself because he's very similar to me. He's loud and he's he's a magnet uh, to people and he never stops talking and he never stops asking why and wondering and being curious. And the most beautiful gift he's ever given me is the ability to see myself Hmm. as a boy who just wanted to be told, I I love you and I'm proud of you. And that that poor boy, he gets to hear those words all the time, (laughs) like probably more than he understands, you know, but he really is I don't know what happens when we die. I don't know what what all of this even means, but I do know that that whatever I'm here for, he gets to be here for something better than yeah. than mm-hmm. the things that I've had to go through. I love that. Hmm. Amazing. Outside of your work life, professional life, mm. what do you what do you enjoy doing? Are you still playing music? You still uh, There's a guitar that hangs on my wall. Mm-hmm. It's currently dusty. Um, <laughs> Music, I actually, I'll talk about music for a second. Music is one of those things that I've like aged myself out on unintentionally. I have friends that are producers and writers and, you know, musicians and things. And I, and I always wonder like, what if I, what if I was in a band again? Like that would be so much fun. But also like what 41 year old dude just starts a new band. I don't know. That's one place where like, I'm not super kind to myself. So currently no music, even though I think about it relatively often. I play basketball. I play in a men's league, and I'm probably the second oldest person in the league, which is fun and and keeps me vibrant. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Keeps my knees sore, that's for sure. I play basketball. I love music. My son and I, he loves hip-hop music, and, and so do I, and so we get to share that together. I really, truthfully, one of my favorite things is just being with people. Hmm. And it doesn't even matter what I'm doing. I hear you. Uh, like last night I was with my best friend and a couple guys that his son plays baseball and a couple guys that are dads on that team. And we just had really rad conversation. And and that is an ideal evening for me. Just to be with people is one of my most favorite things to do. To help somebody laugh, to allow somebody the ability to be present with themselves or even dismiss some of their day. It doesn't even matter what it is. We could do karaoke. We could go play pool. We yeah. could, you know, play darts. It, I used to play disc golf a lot. I play sometimes now. It almost doesn't matter. If I'm with people, I'm here for it. Yeah. I can't remember who I was on the phone with the other day. Some new acquaintance related to Business Radio X. And I, I can't remember. We were talking about being an artist or being like an expert at some something. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, I just, I'm just good at being with people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I really just love being around people. I, and I don't know if that this is you, but for me, the older I get, and I am a little bit older than you, quite a bit, while I love being with people, if it is a large crowd, like a networking event, whether I'm hosting and speaking or I'm just there as, you know, a participant, I have to tap out after mm-hmm. a certain amount of time. And then it usually takes me at least several hours, sometimes even a couple of days to unravel uh, a little bit. Do you do, do you find that? I mean, like I'm really good on one-on-one. That's why I love Phoenix Business Realics because I can do a small setting and have these deep conversations, very mm-hmm. focused, concentrated, and be like, I'm full, good. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, however, when I'm out just socializing and doing maybe some of the smaller talk, it's it's really, it becomes harder for me. Is, is, that, is this where we're different? No, <laughs> you're just barely older than me. 
uh, by the way. No. You said you're 41? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just barely. Just barely. That's very sweet of you. <laughs> <laughs> What's fascinating is I've been an extrovert my entire life. Mm-hmm. You put me in a room of people or learning solitude probably the last two years has been mind juggling for me because I now really love being by myself yep. and I never did. Yep. And But also if I'm in a room, I love that room. Yeah. And the fascinating thing for me now is that I've exchanged extroversion for empathy in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I just feel more mm-hmm. where my extrovert used to just be on and present and I'm not soaking it in. Yeah. I'm just giving it. Now I'm soaking it in. I'm overhearing conversations and I'm feeling people's energy. And I've grown into an element of empathy that I didn't have before, mm-hmm. that I didn't really know that I was capable of. And that gets exhausting. Yes. Carrying so much energy and so many stories and so much of people's journeys, that's the thing for me that makes me want to just run home and put on Netflix and mm-hmm. literally do nothing. Yep. So the older I get and and maybe the more aware, the more present with myself I get, the more I have to eventually tap out where before I could – a five-day conference, cool. Yep, Bring it on. Yep, I'm, yep. I'm here for it. And yeah. And like you, I still love it. Give me the five-day conference. I will be all up in that and love it. And I will also schedule on my calendar the next five days of solitude and peace mm-hmm. and restoration and mm-hmm. all that because I, I finally have learned. And, and sometimes I forget. Most recently, I've had a very busy schedule, both professionally and personally. And I've had to say to the people closest to me, I need to step away. Mm. It's not about you. I just need to breathe and I need to bring it all back in because I kind of have left my container. So anyway, fantastic conversation, Mm. not just about brand production and and you as a brand producer. Uh, So thank you for being willing to kind of just do the the tangled web and we weave and and go into the space in between the leaves and the branches and kern. Thanks for kerning with me. (laughs) Oh my God, seriously, my new favorite word. It was my pleasure. Is it K-E-A-R-N? K-E-R-N-I-N-G. K-E-R-N-I-N-G. Mm-hmm. Totally my new favorite word. Please uh, create a little uh, tattoo for me with that. So, I will. <laughs> I love it. Uh, how do people get in touch with you as it relates to brand? you as the brand producer? Let's talk about that, and then I want you to come back to your podcast as well because I guarantee people who are listening and, and uh, paying attention are going to be curious to, to follow you there as well. Or maybe it's the same. For all things, I've reduced it down to just Dennis Gable on Instagram at Dennis Gable, uh, DennisGable.com. I've sort of rebuilt my identity to hold all of the things uh, that I contain. Mm-hmm. And where I used to have different individual sites for every project, Good. now everything, you go to DennisGable.com, you can find whatever you want, uh, including the podcast. But they all have these kind of separate Instagram accounts so that I can tag them and repost it. Perfect. I'll, but none of that is all that relevant. Okay. Just Dennis Gable's easy enough. Dennis Gable. And the name of the podcast again? Self to Society. Yeah. Can you briefly tell us about how you landed on that title? My daughter named it. Oh. Yeah. Um, how old was she when she named it? Is she 16 now? 10, 11. Wow. From her perspective, what was she thinking about daddy? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. But I, I had given some words and some thoughts and uh, she was like, Self to society, and I was like, um. <laughs> "Sounds great." And it and what's funny is the first few years it didn't really resonate with me, and then eventually I understood I'm giving myself to society, and then it clicked. But it was like three years into me having the brand mm. that 
before it really clicked. I love it. Very good. So again, DennisGable.com, LinkedIn, Dennis Gable, Facebook, Dennis Gable. Mm. A, uh, 52. You've got a 52 at the yeah, end of it. And they, yes. they assign us numbers, right? And then, of course, Instagram, Dennis Gable, and that's where we've connected mostly. I think mm-hmm. we're on the other platforms as well together. Such a pleasure to get to know you. We've already talked about having you back again for some mm. other projects that you've got going on. Yes. And so I look forward to that next conversation. Me too. When we have it. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, thanks I for I enjoyed there. this. And thank you again, Jordan, for the great introduction. She of reached course. out on Instagram and said, you two need to know each other. And she <laughs> was absolutely right. Yes, she was. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean branding. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.